with me to Psalm 32. Brother Brian read that to us just a bit ago in our hearing of the Word. And I wanted you to hear the Word read, and now I want you to hear the Word proclaimed. And you just heard it before, I want you to read along with me now. So, same psalm, and uh, an important psalm as we think about forgiveness. I, I love the, that we sang, It is well with my soul. Because that third verse, my sin, oh the bliss of this wonderful thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. You know the story of Horatio Spafford writing that hymn when his family, all of his children, had been killed in a shipwreck, his wife only surviving. And as he's going across the, the ocean to meet up with her in England, he he gets to the spot where the ship went down, and his, the captain of his ship said, this is where your, your children perished. He went back to his stateroom, and he wrote that great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. When all the storms and rivers are raging around me, it is well with my soul. Not because I'm a strong, stoic-type person, but because my God reigns. My God is in control. My God makes it well, even though things around me are falling apart unbelievably. God reigns supreme. And you know, that's something to be, that's something to sing about. That's something to rejoice in. That's something to thank Him for. And, and that's really what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 32. There's a sense in which he's looking forward. David knows, and it says this is a, a maskal of David. Maskal is just a, an instructing psalm, one that instructs us. And and there's a real sense in which David is looking forward to the coming of Messiah, looking forward to the coming of Christ, looking forward to the day when our sins will be completely forgiven, not in part, but the whole. Looking forward to when the sacrificial system has vanished because the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ on the cross, has been offered and has paid the price for the sins of his people. I mean, David is anticipating a glorious, glorious salvation when he writes this psalm. He does a lot of threes in here. Uh, he, he talks about three types of sin. He talks about three ways of, of suffering when we try to hide our sins. He talks about three ways that God has promised to protect him and, and all of his people. I mean, David shows us here the beauty of God's glory in all of his salvation. And as we come to this table this morning, I want us to think about that. As we come to take the bread and take the, the fruit of the vine, as we come to take those elements, remembering his body and his blood that was sacrificed on Calvary, his body given that we might have forgiveness, his blood shed that we might have a, a covenant relationship with the living God. As we, as we come to this table, I want us to think about what David says in Psalm 32. Powerful words, important words. Listen as I read a portion. I'll probably just read it portion by portion here. You know, I, the word Selah is in there, and, and through the years it's been debated what Selah means. Uh, probably it means pause and reflect. Pause and think about what you have just read. And so when I get to that Selah, that's probably where I'll stop. Now, unlike the, uh, the Babylon Bee this past week that, that did say that uh, biblical research has discovered that what sailor really means is an extended guitar solo. 
That's not what it means, okay? It probably means pause or rest or meditate upon what has just been said. Prepare your hearts to receive what is about to be said. And that's important. So hear the word of the Lord again. Blessed or happy or rejoicing is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Uh, I want you to pause there. It says, pause, we'll pause. I want you to think about the things that David says here. He, He talks about three words for sin. We can very easily just rush over that and say, oh, well, sin is sin is sin is sin, right? No, not right. David uses three words here in the Hebrew that give us an understanding of what kind of sin David is talking about, what kind of sins David is talking about. He starts out by saying, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Transgression is a word that literally refers to rebellion against God's authority. Rebellion against God, open rebellion, saying, I I don't want to do what God has called me to do. I don't want to live like God has called me to live. I want to do my own thing. I want God to smile upon me. I want God to care for me. I want God to show His love for me, but I want to run my own life. That's transgression. And and David says transgressions can be forgiven. Uh, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, his rebellion against God's authority. The word forgiven there, and that he uses all the way through here, is a word that literally means that has been lifted up. It's the idea of lifting a burden off. The one who is in rebellion against God is one who, who is carrying a burden where they realize it or not. It's like Christian in, in Pilgrim's Progress, if you read that great Christian classic, where he's walking along with this burden on his back, and he comes to the cross, and finally at the cross, his burden is relieved, his burden is taken off of him, is lifted off of him. We used to do a vacation Bible school in Florida based on Pilgrim's Progress. And the first of the week, we gave all the kids backpacks, and we put bricks in their backpacks. And all week long, during the, the progression of our study in Pilgrim's Progress, they had to wear those backpacks, and they got heavy, and they got burdensome. But when we came to the point where we came to the cross, they took their backpacks off, and they laid their burdens down before Christ at the cross. David is saying here, I want you to understand, even though you be in absolute rebellion against God, your transgressions are great, your, your disobedience is more than you can bear. When you come in repentance and faith to Christ, there is forgiveness. And that burden is lifted away. So the word transgression is used there. It's forgiven. The word sin is used. Sin is a word there in the Hebrew that means missing the mark. On Tuesday and Thursday nights, our young people, some of the children from the neighborhood and, and even in our church, they meet back here in the fellowship hall and they have archery. And they have targets sitting down there and they they take those bows and arrows and they stretch them back and they shoot at the bow and arrow and they at the target, the bow and arrow. And and their their goal is to hit the bullseye. Of course, the truth of the matter is, uh, many of them miss the bullseye. I remember the time, I'm gonna get in trouble with this, but uh, my my son and I, who he happens to be here today, so I'll owe him a dollar per our agreement and his children, we were at 
Boy Scout camp or Camp Jamboree one time and he was shooting the archery and he first time he'd ever shot a bow and arrow and he pulled it back and he let the arrow fly and he hit a bullseye dead in the middle and the, the, the archery instructor said that's great that's really good and, and Will said well yeah but I was I was aiming at that one and it was a, a different one but it was a bullseye but it was a transgression it, it was a sin it was a missing the mark and, and so in our lives, there are times when we miss the mark unintentionally. But it's still sin. It's still deviating what God has called us to be. So David says, blessed is the one whose transgression, rebellion is forgiven, and whose sin is covered. Who's, who's missing the mark is covered. Now, why, how is that covered? Well, we know in Romans, and, and by the way, David, uh, David is quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 4. On these very two first verses, when he's talking about justification and being clothed and covered in the righteousness of Christ, receiving full righteousness of Christ and being covered by that, that's where, that's where Paul goes to talk about it. Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. The righteousness, the blood of Christ, the, the power of the gospel has covered his sin or her sin, and they don't have to deal with it anymore because Christ has paid for it. Then he says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The word iniquity there, a third word for sin, is a word that really speaks about a deliberate deviation from the path. It's, it's not quite iniquity. It's not quite open rebellion and, and, and against God's authority, but it's just a, a deliberate deviation from the path. The path is going this way. And there are all sorts, of, all sorts of turns that you can take. And, and every now and then you just kind of take a path that is not pleasing to God. And, and you say, well, but God will forgive and God will take care of that. And surely that path will ultimately lead back to where I want to go. It's, it's, a, it's a deliberately veering off the path, deviating from the right path that God has called us to. But David wants us to know that all those who have, have received the grace of God all those who are covered by the righteousness of Christ, and, and he's pointing to Christ here, have those sins and iniquities and transgressions forgiven. And then verses 3 and 4, he talks about the thing, three things that happen when we try to hide our sin. And we're all guilty of doing that from time to time. He says, when I kept silent, that is, I didn't confess, I didn't repent, when I tried to hide what was really going on in my life, my bones wasted away. Literally, my body began to just deteriorate. When I tried to hide my sin, I, I, my bones wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Uh, for day and night, your hand... Here's the second thing about what happens when we try to hide our sin. Your hand was heavy upon me. You remember us talking about in Romans that God will never, ever ever let a Christian live in perpetual disobedience and sin? That God will always, because His Holy Spirit dwells within the believer, God will always and forever convict and bring, uh, bring a call to repentance in every believer's life. His hand is heavy upon us. There is a disciplining. The, the writer of Hebrews says that those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines 
Yes, your sins are forgiven, but when there is a hiding of sin, a trying to cover it up, a trying to act like it doesn't exist before God and before others, the, the heavy hand of God will press in in a, in a loving sort of way, in a gentle sort of way, but in a disciplining sort of way and say you are hiding something that must be confessed. My bones wasted away. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. There is a vitality that leaves us. There's a joy that leaves us. There is a, there is a sense of, of purpose and a sense of, of God's goodness in our life that leaves us when we try to hide our sin. The power of this table that we're talking about this morning, the power of the cross, is that, that is, forgiveness is there, but it's there for a reason. It's there to make us more like Christ. And so Paul, excuse me, David says, you know, there's three types of sin. There's three types of, uh, uh, there's three things that happen when we try to hide our sin. And then he makes in verse 5, a person. he makes all of those things personal. He makes a personal confession. Because in reality, that's what all of us have to do. It's not enough to say, blessed is a man whose iniquity is forgiven. Blessed is a man whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or the woman in where, where transgressions are, are, are dealt with by God. That's a glorious affirmation of truth. But there's a personal application to it. And so David says in verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. It's not just that I acknowledge their sin. It's not even just that I acknowledge that, that yeah, I've, I've struggled with sin at some point. I acknowledge to you, O oh God, my sin. He personalized it. We all tend to be able to see the sin of others, don't we? We all tend to be able to say, yes, there is transgression, there is sin, there is iniquity all around us every single day. We see it everywhere. But David says, but that's not the issue, is it? The issue, is, the issue is my sin. The issue is my personal sin, my personal disobedience. And he said, I acknowledge to you. That's a type of confession. Uh, John says in 1 John 1.9, he says, When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The word confess there is the word uh, homo legato, which literally means just to say the same thing as God. And so confession and is acknowledging that what God says about our sin is absolutely true. And so he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I didn't try to hide under a blanket of self-righteousness. I didn't try to hide under something to keep you from seeing it, Lord. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, for you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David speaks as one who has been forgiven and one who is seeking forgiveness every single day. He speaks as one who knows the reality of God's power in his life and forgiveness in his life, just as any true believer does. Because they've come to Christ, they've come and accepted his sacrifice and his offering and him being a substitute, and, and they rejoice in that. And so they know that there has been a, a past time, there's been a, a, a forgiveness that is in the past, but there's a forgiveness now that's in the presence that, present that is a cleansing. And there's an ultimate rejoicing in the forgiveness that will come 
in the future. I acknowledge my sin. I do not cover my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions. And then there's another Selah. Think about that. Meditate upon that. When David prays in Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thought and see if there be any sin within me, any evil way within me, and lead me in your everlasting way. There, there, is, this, there is this time to pray and say, Lord, show me. Matter of fact, that he does that a little later on in verse 8. We'll get to that in a minute. Well, in verse 6 he does, really. Because he says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer. Now, I won't have you raise your hands, and I'd ask you the question, who in here is godly today? I'm sure in our humility and in our, our, our not wanting to show, say that we're something that we maybe are not, and others might be able to say, oh, no, you're, you're really not, we wouldn't raise our hand. Don't you understand, David, when he says, let those who are godly offer prayer to God, he's not talking about let those who are perfect. Let those who have arrived in their spiritual lives, let those who have no trouble with sin anymore, he's talking about those who have been covered, those who have been forgiven, those who are walking with the Lord, with Christ. Let those, let everyone who is godly, who is a believer, offer prayer to you at a time when he may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. In other words, those who try to do it on their own will never get there. But those who pray, those who seek his face, those who seek his forgiveness, they are the ones who walk in this forgiveness. So, so David says pray. Then he talks about God's protection. I love this part. He says in verse 7, You are a hiding place for me. You are, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. You ever just sat and pondered? Just sat and pondered how God is protection in your life and thanked Him for it? You're a hiding place. You're, you're a place that I can go and hide from all the world's troubles. I have to come back out, but I can hide there a while. And, and even when I come back out, you preserve me from trouble. Does that mean that we never see any trouble in this life? No. We will see trouble after trouble after trouble. Look at any of the, the testimony of the New Testament saints. They were persecuted, they were, they were martyred. Look at the current day Christians who are being martyred for their faith. They have great trouble, but God preserves them in the midst of it, even to the point of preserving them eternally. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Not my shouts, God's shouts. You surround me and protect me and care for me in those times of trouble. God makes three promises to David in verse 8. He said, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I will instruct, I will teach, I will counsel. 
Those are very intimate words that God is giving to David and giving to you and me. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. How are you going to know that? Somebody say this past week, you know, most people sit around and say, Lord, I just want a word from you. Lord, I, I want some direct revelation from you. I want you to tell me, Lord, how I should go. And, and the answer, the direct revelation, the word to you is sitting on a shelf or sitting on a coffee table at your house. It's there. David says, Lord, you will teach me. You will instruct me in the way I should go. But my friend, you will never know the way you should go if you're not in the word. You never know the way you should go if you're not in the Word. I will instruct you. I will teach you. I will counsel you. We think of counseling as that intimate one-on-one involvement with another person. I I will counsel you, God says. I I will give you my Word. I will give you my teaching. I will give you my instruction. And I will be there with you. I will counsel you in the midst of it. Then he gives a warning. And I'm going to paraphrase verse 9. Don't be so stubborn. Just don't be stubborn. Don't be like a horse or a mule who has no understanding, which has to be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near you. He says, look, here are the mercies of the Lord. Here is the grace of Almighty God shown to you in Christ Jesus, shown to you in His sacrificial death, shown you in the promise of forgiveness and reconciliation and building relationship with the the Redeemer of all time. Here is God's promises. Here is God's provision. Don't be stubborn as though you're going to do it yourself. A mule. Why would he? Why does he say, don't be like a mule? Because a mule's dumb in so many ways. I won't say that about a horse. Got too many horse people in here. But, but horses are, if you don't put the bit and the bridle in their mouth and tell them which way to go, they'll go where they want to go. I, I that happened at a youth camp one time. I decided to go riding with some of the kids. And I think this is the last time I've been on a horse. Because as I got on the horse, I knew it was the end of the day. And they're ready to get back to the barn. And all of a sudden, the horse charges out. And I, I'm, in my exuberance to try to stop the horse, I, I, I drop the reins. And I had no control over that horse at all. So I just grabbed hold of the horn of the saddle and held on for dear life. And he ran as hard as he could do. And he ran into the barn. And just as he got to the end of the barn, here's this fence there. He stops. And I don't. horse did what he wanted to do because he didn't have the bit in his well the bit was in his mouth but the the one who was supposed to be in control didn't have control because he didn't have the reins David says don't be like that don't live your life saying God I know better for me than what you know don't say I want to do what I want to do and and you're just going to deal with it Lord Dangerous stuff. I, I think the implication here is that God will put a bit and a bridle in your mouth if he has to. That's the heavy hand. I feel the heaviness of your hand. That's the discipline. I'll do it if I have to. 
But David said, for crying out loud, you have the mercies of the Lord forever to live in and think about. Why would you need a bit in the bridle? We sing of those mercies today. We rejoice in those mercies. And then God's assurance. It says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Those who are outside of Christ. But steadfast love, steadfast love, continuing love, abiding love, unfailing love, steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. There's nothing better than to have the love of God surrounding your life. The steadfast love. The unfailing love, the continuing love surrounding the life of the believer. You say, but Bill, you don't understand. I, I, I want God's love surrounding me. I, I really do. But, but, you know, I still have hard times. I still have struggles. I still have things that, that I don't like. Yeah, you will. But the promise there is that he will be with you and he will love you and he will care for you through the middle of it. As you put your trust in him. The steadfast love surrounds. And, and then David says, so what ought our response to be? God assures us, how should our response be? Verse 11. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Be glad, rejoice, shout for joy. That's a response to God's steadfast love. Be glad is the opposite of being mundane and sorrowful. Sorrow is a part of our life. Happiness won't always be a part of our life. We are not happy when certain things happen. Circumstances determine our happiness. But, but, but this be glad in the Lord is not happiness, it's joy. And knowing that, that we can know that even when things aren't like we want them to be, we can look to Him and trust in Him and walk with Him. And even in the midst of a difficult time, we can be glad in the Lord because He reigns. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice. Paul said to the Philippian Christians, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Again, he didn't say be happy all the time. He said rejoice in the Lord, in His grace, in His provision. In case you didn't hear me the first time, I'll say it again. Rejoice. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Shout for joy, all you who know the work of Christ in your life. Shout for joy. Praise the Lord as we, we sang in one of the songs. Hallelujah. You know, hallelujah is all through the Psalms. As a matter of fact, the Psalms end with Psalm 150, which is all about hallelujah. And some people think that hallelujah is just, you know, a, a, an expression of praise the Lord. It is. 
But it's not just an expression of it, it's a command of it. Hallelujah is a command to us to praise God. Praise God when things are good. Praise God when things are not so good. Praise God when things are horrible. Find your assurance. Find your security. Find your hope in Him alone. Blessed is the one, the man or the woman, whose iniquity is forgiven, whose sin is covered, and whose transgressions God will not hold against them. When we know that forgiveness, there ought to be a shout and rejoicing and a being glad because of who he is. And that's really the same thing this table points us to. It points us to the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him would never perish, but would have everlasting life. This table points to the fact that he is our substitute and he is our ultimate sacrifice. Every little lamb, every bull, every, everything was ever sacrificed in the Old Testament system were, was pointing to this sacrifice. So John the Baptist could say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's forgiveness in what took place that this table points to. And this ought to be a time of spiritual communion with the living Christ. It ought to be a time where we recognize that, that while these elements don't become body and blood, when we eat them that there is a pointing to and there's a reminder and there's a celebration in this that, that Christ has done all that it took. He's done it all to show us the bliss of this glorious thought that our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Would you pray with me? As we prepare to take of these elements, as those who will serve us come and prepare, I want you to do this. I want you to pray as we pass these elements among you. Some scripture will be read for you to think on, but think about what God has done in Christ on the cross in these elements. This is my body which is given for you. This is my blood that is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. If you're here this morning, you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a member of another church, but in good standing, not under church discipline there, I invite you to participate in the meal with us. This is the Lord's table. It's not Grace Baptist table or the Baptist table. It's Christ's table. But I invite you to take of it very solemnly and very seriously 
asking Him, Lord, show me, search me and show me my sin. And lead me to confession. Lead me to repentance. As we pray, you continue to pray as we prepare. says that on that night he took the bread and broke it he took the cup and he passed it among them after he had blessed them he said do this in remembrance of me and by doing it proclaim that I'm coming again Father we come before you this morning we thank you for these elements that remind us of your body and your blood these elements that point to the great sacrifice that you have given Call us to faithfulness, Lord, to you. Because our sins are covered. Our transgressions are forgiven. The burden's been lifted. And we are in Christ. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Pray skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of His mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke. And it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord looks down from heaven, and He sees all the children of man who, from where He sits enthroned, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. 
king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. 